congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are times in our life when we, you and I, must examine our faith and we must examine our confession of our faith, especially in times that we are facing upheavals as we are in this day and age. Those upheavals could cause disastrous results. And it means, therefore, that you and I need to stand strong upon the rock, Jesus Christ. Else, we'll fall, we'll break apart. And so, we need to examine our faith and what we confess in our faith. We should, therefore, not be blind to what is happening in this world of today. Because it is, and we heard something of that this morning already, it is very unbiblical. There are many ungodly things happening in this world, and things are not improving at all. It is especially in the last couple years that this has developed to such an extent that we wonder how long can this world still be in existence And so we need to examine ourselves as well. Are we in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ? And what is happening this day and age could be, in fact, a foreboding of worse things to come in times as these. It is therefore good. It is important for each one of us that we confess the truth according to the word of God. And so we are presently at the point in life where I must ask myself, and when it really comes down to it, this is a very personal thing, dear people. For each one of us, we must ask ourselves personally, what is it that I believe? What is it that I confess? And can you echo that with me? What is it that I put my hope in, that I put my trust in? Who is it that I place my trust in who is the object of my faith and I hope that you can echo that with me that you speak in that way personally as well many people as you know they are looking for politicians who will lead them in some measure of peace Uh, they would like to have more affordable living lower taxations reliable medical attention all of these things We have enjoyed to a certain extent in the past, but not so much in this day and age anymore. And the question can be asked, well, will a different government provide such living and ideal living for us? Will a new prime minister, will a new president in the U.S. provide this for us? But where is is the Christian in all of this? What is the Christian stand in all of this? What is the Christian's boast, you see? Who is the Christian rallying behind today? Well, let's take some time to examine this matter very personally, as I said already, and let us uh, do that with the help of the Word of God and also with the help and the instructions that come to us from our text and its context. Simon Peter We read, Simon Peter answered and said to the question that Jesus asked, Who is it that you say I am? And then Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. And so, congregation, what we have here is Peter's confession of a powerful Savior in the first place, in contrast to less powerful figures. In the second place, in honor of the most powerful figure. Now, congregation, the Lord Jesus has taken his disciples to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, a quiet region in the northern part of the land of Israel, a region that is most suitable for some time out, for some reflection. And there are also been placed, these are the places where people would often go for a vacation if they have the opportunity for that. So, the northern part in Israel, Caesarea Philippi. And the Lord Jesus and his disciples, they needed a time, they needed some time to reflect on things. They needed some time out. They've been through some very exciting days. We read of that prior to our text passage. And you can read of that in the previous chapters as well. First was the feeding of the 5,000. Then there was the feeding of the 4,000 as well. And the crowds had taken a liking to the Lord Jesus Christ, not necessarily for the right reasons, but fascinated with him nevertheless, particularly because of the miracles that he could perform. And the people swarmed around him like bees. At that same time, while the crowd took a great liking to Jesus, others, particularly the leaders, that is the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they began to show a great dislike for Jesus and that more and more. And in their dislike for the Lord Jesus Christ, they began to a, a slander campaign against him. And this is not something new. This is what the world still does today. It, it is engaged in a slandering campaign against Christians because Christians are told now, and you've heard it this morning, Christians are told now to hate and to be a hatred of, of, of all those who don't follow in the Bible's way. Well, it is not true that we hate them, but we hate their ideologies. We hate what many in the world stand for today. And I won't go any further than that. You know what I mean. Anyway, the, the world at that time, the scribes and the Pharisees and the, Pharise and the Sadducees, they, they began a slander campaign to, uh, to slander the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 10, verse 25, for instance, we get the idea that Jesus was labeled as Beelzebul, some low-down Philistine god. Certainly nothing complimentary. At the beginning of our text chapter, we can read of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were busy tempting or trying to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ, how to trap him by some questions and some ways. But now Jesus and his disciples have taken leave of the adoring crowd and he has sent the people home. He has left the factuous uh, Pharisees and Sadducees as well and has departed from them, as you can read in verse 4. And he has taken his disciples with him in order to be alone for a while, for some time for reflection and, and just for some rest at the coast of Caesarea Philippi. And so, 
in stirring up some reflection in his disciples, Jesus asked them some very pertinent questions. One, what do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? What, is the people, what are the people saying about me? What type of ideas do they have about me? And then the disciples also give an answer to this very revealing, in fact, very revealing as to what the people were thinking. And it was revealing also what the people think today as to who is Jesus. Well, they said some people think, say that you are John the Baptist, or some say you're Elijah, and others that you are Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Now, this certainly is far more complimentary than what the Pharisees and the Sadducees have called Jesus. Their label for Jesus has been nothing less than, I would say, demonic. But the common people, they have other opinions about the Lord Jesus and indeed far more complimentary. Some people have suggested that he may very well be um, old John the Baptist, that powerful preacher who suddenly showed up a few years back preaching repentance towards God and return to some social justice. They see in Jesus, therefore, a very stern preacher who minced no words and who warned the world and said, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit uh, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Other people amongst them had a different opinion about Jesus, and they, they thought that he might be the reappearing of the prophet Elijah, that, that brave prophet who, in the face of all those Baal priests and kings and queens, held up the only in the one way of worshiping the Lord God of Israel and who had departed from the scene of this world in a chariot of fire. Jesus, so they thought, Jesus may very well be this comeback prophet Elijah to restore Israel to the Lord God of Israel. Still others thought that Jesus might be the reincarnation of the prophet Jeremiah, bold and strong and courageous enough to stand up against the whole nation of evildoers of his time, prophesying doom and gloom in regard to the destruction of Moab and Syria and Edom and Babylon and all the enemies of Israel. They saw Jesus and they may very well have said to each other, ah, here is Jeremiah in the flesh. Let's hear what kind of curses he will now lay upon our enemies. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So Jesus asked. And the disciples, they say it. Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Quite complimentary, therefore. And I believe, most likely, well meant. And true enough, Jesus at that time still had the respect of the people. He, so they thought, he is a prophet of some sort. He is a powerful prophet. But yet, having said all of that, this is still all they could say about him. 
He is one of the old prophets. That's all they could say to him. And this, isn't this also what many people even say of Jesus today as well? Well, I've heard it said he's a good man. He says it like it is. He's brave, he's bold, he's courageous. He is some sort of a prophet. He's one of the old prophets, perhaps. And millions are saying this. He is an old prophet. That is what people are saying also today in religious circles. I think, for instance, of the Mormons and of the Muslims and of the Jehovah Witnesses. If you would ask them, they will give that answer. But do you really think that Jesus is happy with that sort of a label? One of the old prophets? As complimentary as this label of prophet may sound, no, I would say that Jesus is not happy with this label. Jesus is not merely just an old prophet, as powerful as these prophets may have been in the past. Because in contrast to all of those old prophets, Jesus is far more powerful. And dear people in this day and age of calamitous upheavals, of wars and of rumors of wars, of unprecedented ungodliness, we need more than just a John the Baptist. We need more than just an Elijah. We need more than a Jeremiah. We need more than just an old prophet, you see. In this day and age of unsettling events, we cannot leave our trust and faith in mere men. As bold and as brave and as courageous as these men may have been, God's word, after all, tells us that we may not and we must not put our trust in man. Neither must we trust in the powers of nations, because man is weak. Our nations can crumble like a piece of paper in one's hand. A powerful nation like America can be penetrated by devious characters with terrorist agendas and bring major destruction, as we have seen this in the past 20 years. We must not place our ultimate trust in the military might of the United Nations or the military might of the United States. We must not leave our destiny in the hands of politicians or of world leaders because they are still only mere men. Mind you, we should pray for them. We should pray for them that God will turn their hearts around. But we must ultimately place all of our trust and our faith only in Jesus Christ. Now, this is what Simon Peter also expresses in our text. And I want to explain this to you in honor of a most powerful figure. So, having discussed what the people have been saying of Jesus, Jesus now turns to his disciples and he asks them, but who do you say that I am? In congregation, this is a very penetrating and very searching and a very personal question. Who do you say that I am? And now the disciples, they had to answer for themselves. Now they cannot leave it as to what others have said about Jesus. Now they must answer from their own heart. And now it is they who must say who Jesus is. 
And indeed, the emphasis again is on their personal confession. Because literally, if you'd read it in the original language, Jesus says as follows, But you, what do you say that I am? The stress is on the you. You me. And isn't that the question that each and every one of us needs to consider as well, dear people? Never mind what others are saying about Jesus or what other people or what other religions say about Jesus. Why do you say that he is? What is your, what is my personal opinion and thought and worship of Jesus Christ? For instance, when the elders come for family visitation, they, I would think, they would very well ask some personal questions, and they, they, they should do that. And one of the questions may very well be asked, um, and, and you, young man, young lady, what, what do you say of Jesus? What do you say? What kind of answer will you then give the office bearers? Will they get the answer to that question from you? Or will you sort of shrug it off? Well, I, I don't know. And therefore, especially you who are still in the younger generation, this question is for you. It is for you. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? You need to, you need to think about this for a bit. You need to reflect on that for a while. How will you answer this question? Or will you perhaps be ashamed to give an answer to this question? Perhaps you think it isn't cool to speak of Jesus in a crowd, whether it's only two or three people. Well, let's listen to Simon Peter for a moment as he answers this question. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? Not a prophet, not an old prophet of God, but the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is a confession, dear people, that cannot be outdone. You cannot possibly top this confession. This is a confession that is in honor of the most powerful figure. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And notice carefully how Peter and what Peter says here. He calls Jesus the Christ. Now in Aramaic, in Hebrew, most likely the language they spoke at that time, Peter may very well have said the Messiah or the Messiah. And this term, the Messiah, points to the promised one. The Messiah is the promised one, promised by God to come, and which means what? The Messiah, the anointed one. And so, dear young people, this is what the term Christ means. This is what the Christ, what he means. He is the anointed one. That is, he is anointed by God, the Holy Spirit, to be prophet, priest, and king. This is who Jesus is. He is the Christ. And then to add this to it yet, he is the Son. And the stress is on the Son, not a Son, as the Jehovah Witness teach, 
but he is the son of the living God. And this is a very, very powerful confession of the Savior. This is the confession that you and I also need to be able to say. This is the one, Christ, the Son of God, that you and I must put our full trust in and our full confidence in and our faith in. Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, is definitely the prophet. I need to say that. He is definitely the prophet, anointed by the Holy Spirit. And as the prophet, he has come to declare the will of God the Father to us. As the prophet, he has come to preach the gospel that leads to peace with God his Father. As the prophet, he calls you and me to repentance of our sin and to faith in him. As the prophet, he also foretells of a judgment to come and of a twofold outcome that is possible of being cast into hell or of being ushered into the joys of heaven. As the prophet, he calls you and me to be very serious in our response to him. Not a response, well, sometime in the future, but a response here and now. Today, if you will hear his voice, so the scripture says, as the prophet above all the other prophets of the past, Jesus the Christ has the ability to make himself be heard throughout every age and in every language and every tongue, piercing not only the hearing ear, but able to reach into the heart, even into the very conscience of man, because the word has a double-edged sword that goes into bones and marrows of the bone. And so the question is, have you heard Jesus the Christ speaking to your heart, speaking to your conscience? But as the Christ, Jesus is also anointed by the Holy Spirit as priest. And what a priest he is, superior to any and all of the priests that have ever existed. All you need to do is be convinced of this is to read the letter to the Hebrews. It will tell you everything about how superior he is to the priests. As priest, he not only brought the sacrifice offering for our sin, but he was the sacrifice. As priest, he did not kill the lamb. He was the lamb. And he offered himself, not merely upon an old altar, but upon the altar of the cross. As priest, he actually gave the supreme sacrifice good enough and sufficient enough for once and for all, pouring out his very precious blood, giving his very body, giving his very life for the likes of you and me. As priest, as priest, he blesses those who believe in him beyond measure. He's, his raised hands, you see, are constantly and steadfastly over the believers granting them forgiveness of sins, granting them peace with God, granting them cleansing, granting them healing, spiritual healing. As priest, he stands in the temple above their people, called the Father's house, with the many mansions that he is busy preparing for those when they arrive at the gates of heaven. 
He awaits the arrival of each believer who falls asleep in Christ in order to bid them a warm welcome home. And so, my friend, I ask you, do you know this Jesus, the Christ, as your priest? He alone, you see, he is able to deal with your sin. He is able to deal with your guilt. Have you found your rest in his sacrifice already? Have you found a small place under his raised and blessing hands already? If not, I urge you that you would turn to the cross of Jesus Christ, that you would look to him, because as he has said so clearly in John 12, verse 32, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Jesus Christ, dear people, is the magnet that draws us to himself. As priest, therefore, Jesus Christ has that magnetism about him that you and I will find very hard to resist. Oh, we will resist at times, but ultimately, we need to surrender. We need to surrender. But then, as the Christ, he is not only prophet, he is not only the priest, he is also the king as well. And we may even say that he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And there are people, Jesus is the Christ, the anointed king of heaven and earth. As king, he has issued his laws, that is, his commandments, which we are called to obey. As king, he judges with perfect judgment, and no one will escape his judgments. As king, he rules with a steady hand, and no one can overturn his rule. And surely this makes Jesus Christ the most powerful ruler and king. And this aspect of Christ is tremendously and should be tremendously comforting for any of us who have come to and trust ourselves to him. Especially as we find ourselves in the midst of this turmoil of this present world. Because there are world leaders who think that they are the all-powerful But they do not reign supreme. Jesus Christ, he alone reigns supreme. And the success of warfare does not lie in the strength of the United Nations or in the strength of the United States. The strength of it lies in Jesus Christ, the King. And if nations and rulers will put their trust in Christ, the King, they will have more strength at their disposal than any weapons of warfare. But how greatly comforting it is for believers to know and to confess that Jesus is the Christ and that he is their king. He is king to rule his people, but he is king also to protect his people. His ruling ways, you see, they're always good for them because he will never burden them beyond what they can bear. As king, he has made it very clear to his people that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And as he protects him, them, his people will feel secure. They will feel safe with him. And so, my believing brothers and sisters in the Lord, trust in Jesus Christ to keep you safe. 
when you travel by air or on the road or on the sea. Commit yourself in safekeeping and do so prayerfully. When you must face or confront dangers, place your trust in Jesus Christ. And we will face and we will confront dangers. Perhaps we will be spared from physical dangers. We certainly pray for this. But we know that we will not be spared from spiritual dangers. The devil will try it. The world will tempt us. Our sinful flesh will be inclined to fall for it as well. But in those trials and in those temptations, let us then turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, the King, your King and your Protector. He will not leave you. His promise, he will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And that's a promise that is found in the Word of God. Now I ask you, isn't it a good confession which Simon Peter made when Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Is this become your confession already, dear people, young people, older ones? This is more than saying he is an old prophet like John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah. He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. And such a confession, dear people, must become your and my confession if he is to be your and my Savior. This hour, Jesus Christ has taken you into a place of reflection. <clears throat> we are, as it were, the shores of the sea, Caesarea Philippi. We can relax in our pew. We can just think about what the Lord Jesus Christ is all about. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ has taken you aside for a while. Away from this world's noise. And he's asking you a very, very personal response. An important question. Who do you say that I am? And now you need to give an answer. You need to give him an answer. Because this question cannot be left for some other time. It cannot be left unanswered because it bears on your and my eternal future. It will require an answer even today yet because you and I, we do not know if tomorrow will even give us the opportunity to give that sort of answer. We know Simon Peter's answer in honor of a most powerful figure. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so, what will your answer be? If so, we should then also be ready and willing to bring, to sing in honor of him whom we confess. Christ shall have dominion over land and sea. Earth's remotest regions shall his empire be. They that wilds inhabit shall their worship bring. Kings shall render tribute. Nations serve our king. Christ shall have dominion over land and sea. Earth's remotest regions shall his empire be. And dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, we shall see this 
perfectly realized when the new heaven and the new earth become our abiding place.